And boy, like we were talking about the last few weeks, if there ever was a time in history where we have to speak the name of Jesus from everywhere, it's now. The culture, the world has turned completely against him. The churches are turning completely against him. But it's up to us. It's up to us to proclaim the gospel, like we talked about last week. We're the remnant that's The time for having church as usual is over. The time for saying a prayer here and there and reading a verse of scripture here and there is over. This is crunch time. And we got to preach them everywhere we go. And we have to be prepared for what happens. Like a good friend of mine in Ann Arbor always says, if you don't realize you're in a spiritual battle, you're already a casualty. And the churches have all gone to sleep or they've gone way over to the other side. And no one cares about truth anymore. And the church is rushing to be more and more like the world. And Jesus said, if we're in the world, but we're not of the world, if we, the world would love us if we were like the world. But the world hates us because the world hates him. And so this is the time. And what we're going to talk about, and interestingly, the talk's called The Rise and Shine, because it's going to come from a verse from Isaiah, which is going to lead to talking about the three wise men, the Magi. Why? Because Messiah came for everyone. The plan of salvation comes through Israel, as Jesus told the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. But, of course, the plan is for everyone. So here we are, a bunch of happy Gentiles preaching the word. And just, you know, as John Wimber used to say, doing the stuff. Because this is what we do. You know, instead of watching the the people that have 30,000 people in their church talking about how rich we're going to be when we come to Jesus, we turn to him and say, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to pick up my cross and follow you because that's what it means to be a disciple. We're going to be disciples. And so this is called a rise and shine because as that song said, I know you didn't hear the song online. As the song says, he shines through the darkness. He shines through the gloom. We're going to go to Isaiah and we're going to get to the wise men. But before we get to the wise men, I want to say something funny. You know, nobody knows how many of them there were. Now, there were three gifts, so everybody assumes there were three. But, you know, there might have been five or seven or ten, and they might have chipped in on the on the gifts. And then there's some of the gifts you don't hear about. Well, you hear about the gold and the frankincense and myrrh, but we don't know if some of them brought a gift card to somewhere, <laughs> to Mary's favorite restaurant in Nazareth, <laughs> a local Mexican place. No, no, no. This is a tough crowd, boy. Whew. But, you know, in Ephesians 3, Paul talks about the great mystery of the age is that Gentiles are included in the kingdom. Even my hero, Paul, thought that was a mystery. Isaiah writes 700 and some years before Jesus. 700 and some years. And he announces that there is going to be not only a Messiah coming, but how he's going to come. 
We went through a lot of those. The virgin will be with child. The, I mean, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. He's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. He's going to bring light into these dark places in Zebulon and Naphtali. Then he goes on to say Messiah is going to suffer and he's going to die. You know, if you know what liberation theology is, it's very popular in especially South America. We're not going to get into that. But they've made Jesus kind of a Bolshevik. You know, he died in solidarity with the workers and in solidarity with the people. No, he died to save us from our sin. Because that's the only way that we can be saved. The only solution to the sin problem. It wasn't a political death. He didn't die to spite the Romans or he didn't die to spite the Sanhedrin. He died to save us even in the 21st century because the cross is still here after all this time. So Isaiah 60. Oh, I forgot to finish my thought about the Magi. So let's say there were three of them since everybody thinks there's three of them. We don't know exactly where they came from, but a long distance away. 750, 800,000 miles not less than 700 miles. They were called men from the east. The Jews usually called people from Arabia and Iraq men from the east. They came with camels. And as I was saying yesterday at some place, you know, if you've ever been on a camel, I know they can run, but plop, plop, plop. So it takes a heck of a long time to go a thousand miles. So when you have a nativity set that has the wise men, no, no, no. They weren't there the night that the shepherds came. They probably got there weeks later. But don't know how many there were. We don't know where they came from. We don't know exactly their backgrounds or their details. There's one thing we know. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. So Gentiles came to see the newborn Jewish Messiah. They came to see the newborn king of the Jews. All that way, seeking him. Isn't that awesome? And as we're going to see, the religious leaders in Jerusalem were eight miles away. None of them went. But these guys came a thousand miles to see the Messiah. All of us go through journeys in our life that hopefully end up with him. Some of us go up the equivalent of a thousand miles to find him. I mean, what's more important in your life than to know Jesus? Zero things are. And like he said, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what good does it do you? You can have billions of dollars and you can live to be 150, but if you're damned, you won't even remember that stuff. So Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Whoa, darkness is going to cover the earth. When did that start? Adam and Eve. The day they bit the apple, darkness began to cover the earth. And it still does. And the Lord's going to arise and his glory is going to come. 
just like the passage you did a couple of weeks ago where it says the light's going to shine through the gloom. The light's going to shine through the people living in a valley of death. Because if you're an unrepentant sinner, you don't know Yeshua, you don't know Jesus, you're living in a valley of death. Whether you die today or a month from now or 10 years from now, you're living in a valley of death. But a light's going to shine. And guess who's coming? The Gentiles will come to your light. 700 years before Jesus, let's say. People who heard this would have said to Isaiah, what? Gentiles? Yeah. Who wants them? We can't even stand to be near one of them because we'll be defiled. Once when I was in an argument with an ultra-Orthodox rabbi in Jerusalem, he kept hitting me in the chest with his finger. And I said, oh, now you've defiled yourself. You've touched a Gentile. <laughs> and that got him pretty aggravated. But anyway, so the Gentiles are going to come and kings are going to come. You know, Yeshua is the king of kings. It says in Isaiah, kings are going to stand in amazement. When he comes back, all the powerful governments of the earth are going to stand there going, Oh, that's why in Psalm 2 it says, well, all these things that are going on in the world, God is in heaven and he laughs. He laughs. So Gentiles are going to come. Then you shall see and be radiant. You're going to see and be radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy. Okay, this applies to our salvation as well. When you see, you become radiant, right? You've experienced when you meet Jesus, I mean, my thought was, wow, wait a minute. Why didn't I know this before? Why was I walking around in this valley of death when I could have been in this radiant light? And so everything changes. Your heart swells with joy. I think we talked about that last week, or maybe it was one of the other groups. I don't know. But I talked about how when you come to him, your heart swells with joy. Because now you know the truth. Now you know why you're here. Now you know what you're supposed to be doing here. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. This is a prophecy about the wise men coming. This is a prophecy about the Magi coming with their wealth. The wealth of the Gentiles is going to come to you. He's talking about Messiah here. They're going to come to the land. They're going to bring their wealth with them. We're going to talk about them in a minute, but their hearts were ecstatic. You know, these guys were really rich. These guys were really rich. And they went to see little Jesus, we don't know how old he was, maybe a few weeks old, in this horrible condition with these poor parents, this mess that he was living in. They were kings and mighty people. They didn't care about the mess. They said, we came to see the newborn king of the Jews. We brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. We brought him gold because he's going to have authority of a king. We brought frankincense because he's holy. And frankincense represents prayers ascending into heaven. We brought myrrh because he came to die. Myrrh was a burial spice. 
In the book, The Song of Songs, the groom says to the bride, I have to climb a mountain of myrrh. Myrrh is a burial spice. He says, I have to climb a mountain of myrrh. The suffering that he endured was a mountain of burial spice. He said, you have to go over little hills of myrrh. We go through little hills of myrrh in our life. But I have to go over a mountain of myrrh. So the lights come to Zion, and there's going to be glory on them. We knew about the Shekinah glory in the wilderness. And I hope you do anyway. Those that have taken the Torah class are all about this. But I think there's only two here. <laughs> but anyway, the Shekinah prefigured the light of Messiah. It prefigured the Holy Spirit guiding the people through the wilderness. The Holy Spirit guiding us through the wilderness that we live in. We live in a wilderness too. And I don't care if you live in the richest place on earth with the most beautiful buildings and the most beautiful stuff, you're living in a wilderness. I like to say, because of our experiences in Mexico, you're living in a garbage dump. You may have a $50 million house, but you live in a garbage dump because the whole earth is contaminated. So the light of the Messiah breaks through all this. So darkness is covering the earth. The, the Hebrew there means a deep darkness that you can feel, like the plagues in Egypt. The dark, you've all been to Messianic Seders. One of the plagues was the darkness. And it says the, dark, the darkness was so deep that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't see people that were standing near you. That's how deep the darkness was. This is the darkness that covers the earth. It's deep. It isn't like the lights are off, but there's a couple night lights on. It's deep darkness. It can be felt. But if you're with Messiah, if you're in Messiah, you'll be like the Israelites who are in Goshen. The sun was out there. The Egyptians were bumping into each other, couldn't see anything. But the, pe the people on the land of Goshen, the sun was out because the plague didn't affect them. So our world's covered in darkness. I don't care where you go, covered with darkness. This country's a total disaster now, a disaster. You can't even go downtown anymore without worrying about your life. But if you're in Messiah, you have light. Whether somebody robs you or not, you're in the light. So light comes and shines in the darkness. But we're told to arise and shine, no matter what's going on. Arise. We don't like lay down on the couch and say, oh, there's nothing I can do. It's all hopeless. And hey, if those guys don't know Jesus, tough. I can't do anything about that. We're supposed to arise and shine. We're supposed to reflect that light. He's the light of the world. You know, he's kind of like the sun and we're the moon. The moon doesn't have any light of its own, but the moon reflects light from the sun. Isn't it going to be a bummer in the spring when the eclipse is going to happen if it's cloudy and pouring rain? What a bummer. Everybody in the country is going to be coming here to watch the eclipse. <laughs> but anyway... So he's the light of the world, and we're supposed to reflect that. That's the Great Commission. 
Jesus told those guys, go and make disciples of all nations. And as Monica and I used to talk, he wasn't looking for fans. He wasn't looking for people who kind of liked him. He wasn't looking for people that said, oh, yeah, you know, I've read stuff about him, and that's pretty cool. He's looking for disciples who deny themselves and follow him. Deny themselves, pick up their cross. And again, like I always tell you, when those guys heard pick up your cross, they had a whole different reaction than we have. Because to us, we think this, and yeah, he had to carry the cross. And yeah, when they heard pick up your cross, that meant that you were going to be executed. This was the instrument of execution. He said, you got to pick up your cross and come after me. What? We're going to be executed? Yeah. Because your normal natural life gone now. Like Paul says in Romans. You either live in the flesh or in the spirit. He says, the old me was crucified with Christ. It's not only I, that, it's no longer I that live. That's not in Romans, but, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so the Great Commission doesn't just want people to know about him. You won't need to be a disciple. It's not 57 minutes on Sunday morning. Sing a couple songs, say a couple prayers, hear a nice little talk about how awesome you are, and then go home. So we have to arise and shine. And then it says Gentiles are going to come to the light. Gentiles are going to come to the light. It doesn't say some, a few Gentiles here and there. It doesn't say like, well, there might be some here once in a while that are. Gentiles are going to come to the light. Sounds like a lot of them. There were a lot of them. In, in, in Old Testament times, there were a few Gentiles that came and wanted to worship the God of Israel. There's a few of them in the gospel. Then there's Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. There's the Roman, the, some of the Romans that one, got, one Roman gave money to help build a synagogue. Because he knew his gods were ridiculous. The it, true God. There were some that came and wanted to worship the true God. But very, 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 very few. But after Messiah comes, what happens? Millions come. People who don't know anything about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and could care less. People who don't know anything about the Hebrew scriptures and could care less, which applies to most of the church today anyway. And they could care less. Oh, come on, that's a little bit funny. But it's true. Oh, I love Jesus. I love I But I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to waste my time doing that. I don't want to read what he wrote. I just want to go on Sunday morning. I mean, give me a break here. So these people had no idea that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah, nor would they have cared. What would it matter to a bunch of Greeks or Romans that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah? Who cares? But yet, they come to faith in the Jewish Messiah because of the Jewish believers who become evangelists. So Gentiles come to the light, millions of them. Millions of them.
So the good news is lots of people got saved. And a Christian culture, which is now gone, was set up, right, in Europe, the Mediterranean world, the Middle East was a Christian area, Turkey was a center of Christianity. Then when the United States was founded on Judeo-Christian morality, Christian morality was everywhere. Now it's gone. And the churches don't do anything about it. Say, oh, well, well, you know, we, we don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. We're going to bless sin. Because after all, we don't want anybody to get mad. Well, guess what? You're ensuring their damnation by doing that. The church is assuring people will be damned by not telling them the truth. So it's still going on. But as millions of Gentiles came into the church, the bad thing that happened at the time was the church became more and more Gentile, moved away from her Jewish roots. And like we talked about with Esther, the church forgot that she was Jewish. The church forgot that she was Jewish because we became a Gentile church. So after Messiah, millions of Gentiles, they came from everywhere, every part of the world. They're drawn. They come and they believe. These three guys that lived in Arabia or wherever they were, were drawn to come to see this baby. Can you imagine? No news reports. Nobody preaching, going on a camel. <laughs> Anybody been on a camel? It's disgusting. Ugh. I wouldn't go from here to, I don't know, 176 on a camel. Ugh. I spent 20 minutes on a camel. I had to go change my clothes, take a shower take the clothes to the dry cleaner next door to our hotel. It just reeks. <clears throat> so they're going to come and they're going to believe. You know, sometimes the church, in, in Revelation, the church is known as the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God comes down from heaven. The roots are Jewish. The tree is Jewish. We're grafted in. So like you guys who like to come here and you guys that like to study Torah and know about the prophets, you know the whole basis of how this happens. Because you know Jesus much better if you understand the roots of it compared to, yep, the first chapter of Matthew, he comes up. Yep, Savior pops up. What do you mean Savior pops up? What's he, What do you mean? But when you know it from Genesis to then, you say, wow, this whole plan has unfolded, and here's the baby. Here's the plan in the flesh, as we talked about last week. Here's the God-man in the flesh, the glory that Moses wasn't allowed to see. You could see in that little manger. Pretty amazing. Ephesians 3, what's the great mystery of the ages? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Messiah through the gospel. How are Gentiles going to come into the kingdom? Because they're going to come into the body 
through Messiah because of the gospel. Most of the churches today have no clue what the gospel is. They think the gospel is being nice and not hurting anybody's feelings and giving a dollar to the homeless guy. Those are good things to do. The gospel is that he came and died for you, that you have no way to save yourself, that salvation is a gift. It's a gift. So like, you know, if it's if it's Christmas morning and my brother Tim over there comes and says, hey, I got you this Christmas present. And it's all wrapped up real nice. And I say, oh, wow, thanks. Well, how much do I owe you for that? And he says, why? And I go, well, I want to pay you for the gift. How much was the gift? Then it's not a gift anymore. Don't pay somebody for a gift that they give you. So through the gospel, and this is the gospel, the church needs to hear this again. This is the gospel. People out there are going to their deaths not knowing what the gospel is. Because nobody's telling them. And we're not going to get into all that now again, but with young people, it's a total disaster. They have no foundation of anything. <clears throat> so let's talk about the little magi again. They're called kings. They weren't kings. They were probably astrologers. They're called magi because it comes from the same root as magic. They're magicians, astrologers, pagan practices because they came from pagan places. But God uses, redeems those pagan practices in a very powerful way. Because now this is called the epiphany, the Greek word for manifestation. Manifestation. Why? Because Messiah is manifested to the Gentiles. First time. Later on, there's Gentiles that come to Jesus and say, hey, you know, son of David, I want to. First time, Gentiles come, and he's manifested to them, epiphany. And they're a prefigurement of the Gentiles that are going to come in the future. There's also a prefigurement, as we're going to see, of why the vast majority of the Jews of the time do not accept him. You all know the story about the Magi, right? So I, I, I'm not going to put up every scripture. If you don't know the story, I, I don't know what to say if you don't know about the wise men. But um, how did they know about this business anyway? Like, how did these guys in Arabia or wherever they were, how did they say, oh, Messiah's been born, the king of the Jews has been born? Why did they even care that there was a king of the Jews? Wasn't their king, Right. That would be like living here, and somebody says, well, the king of the Jews has just been born in Israel. You'd say, well, so what? I'm an American. I have my own government here. I don't care who their king is. No, these guys, we got to go find them. We got to go see them. We saw his star rising. A star. Numbers 24. We've done this. If you've been in a Torah class, you know this. <laughs> you will read it pretty soon. Don't worry. Balaam, the pagan priest, does a prophecy. 
when he was supposed to curse the Israelites and he couldn't do it because their cap was so beautiful. And he says this beautiful prayer, which has become a Jewish prayer since then, and is a song. It's prayed in the synagogue. Paul Wilbur sings a version. <laughs> I was talking to him today on the phone, by the way, Rita. But anyway, she's a big fan. <laughs> but the um, the Matovu, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your tabernacles, Israel. He's supposed to curse the Israelites and get paid for it, but he can't do it because the camp is so beautiful. How beautiful this is. And then this pagan priest gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what he says. And I would advise you to go and read Numbers, maybe 23, 22, 23, 24. The whole story of the king Balak and Balaam, the, the priest. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Ooh, so it's a him. I see him, but he's not here now. And he's not even close to being here yet. This is like 1,500 years, more than 1,500 years before. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. A star is going to come out of Jacob. Did the Magi know this scripture? Probably. They were educated. But even in astrology, a new star means some big thing has happened. So I don't know which it was, but they knew something had happened. And a scepter, of course, a scepter is the sign of royal power. It's that gold thing that they carry. They sit on the throne with the scepter in their hand. Like when we studied Esther, and he points the scepter to whoever is allowed to come and talk to him. It's a symbol of royalty. Back in Genesis 49, when Jacob's blessing all the boys, he tells Judah that he's going to be a lion is going to come from him, who's going to devour their prey, his prey. And the scepter is going to be with him until Shiloh comes, which means until the Messiah comes, Judah, you, your whole tribe is going to be governing. So a scepter comes out of Israel. So this pagan priest does this. Did the wise men know that? Did the wise men know this? The scepter has departed from Judah. The Romans were there. They weren't in control of, them, of their own government. That's why people went to John the Baptist and thought he was the Christ. Because it was time for the Messiah based on this. <clears throat> Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. What have they come to do? Worship him. Worship him. You know, people say, oh, Jesus never said he was God. Well, guess what? He did. And when people worshipped him, he didn't say, stop that. I'm a man just like you. Don't do that. Because you're only allowed to worship God. You're not allowed to worship another creature. 
You're not allowed to worship a fellow human being. You know, the angel gets mad at John for falling down in front of him. Says, get up. I'm a creature just like you. You don't bow down to creatures. But various places in the gospel where it says they worshipped him, Jesus accepts the worship because he's God. And so they want to come and worship him. Now, Herod, you know, he's not really crazy about this because he's a puppet king that the Romans put in power. He's half Jewish and he's half Edomite, um, not particularly religious. But he expanded the temple, made the temple nicer so that the Jews would like him better. I mean, it was a political kind of thing. Sometimes it's called Herod's temple, which makes me crazy. But anyway, so Herod says, well, wait a minute. You guys are looking for the king of the Jews. I'm the king of the Jews. This is why he gets angry. I'm the king of the Jews. What do you mean? You're here to see the new king of the Jews. I'm the king. So there are men from the east, as I mentioned, and they knew some of these scriptures. People from this area had come to visit David and Solomon because of their wisdom and because of the beauty of the stuff that they had. The Queen of Sheba and the Africans went to Jerusalem to see the beauty of the temple and the wisdom of Solomon. Well, the Queen of Sheba got a little more than she bargained for, though, because Solomon got her pregnant. And their son, whose name I always forget, became the father of the Ethiopian Jews. I can't remember his name. I don't know if you guys remember his name. But anyway, so these men from the east came there looking for the king. And they go to Jerusalem because they figure, hey, where's he going to be? It's going to be Jerusalem. It's the capital. It's the biggest city. Temple's there. And they call him the king of the Jews, and they've come to worship him. So if they're coming to see the king and they're going to worship him, what they're saying is, this baby's our king as well. You see? He's our king as well. Yeshua's our king as well. He's king of the Jews, yes. He's king of Israel, like so, so many people in the Gospels call him king of the Jews, king of Israel. Pilate even put that on the top of the cross. But he's our king too. We don't have kings in this country, right? But he's our king. It's a kingdom of God. Not it's not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's a kingdom. So these guys say he's our king too. They don't say it, but they imply it. So it doesn't matter where you live on earth, what kind of government you have, in whatever country you live in, he's your king spiritually which everyone is going to find out shortly. <laughs> I hope it's tonight, but they're going to find out shortly. <clears throat> so they come from this really far place. It's this horrible, uncomfortable journey to find him, a little baby who's old, three weeks old, four weeks old, not 10 years old. They came all that way to find him, a very uncomfortable journey. What about us? We don't want to leave our family room. Oh, I'd like to go to the Bible study, but I don't know. Casablanca's on TV. I would never miss Casablanca either, but 
<laughs> well, some people laughed. Oh, you know, I worked all day. I worked all week. Why should I go to church this weekend? I don't like any of these churches anyway. I need to sleep in. I need to go to the gym, eat my carrot sticks and go to the gym. Sorry, I'll have my coffee and donuts and go to church. Nobody goes to more churches than we do, but usually like four a week and counting this one, but this isn't really a church, but it is a church building. So they went on a journey. What kind of journey are we willing to go on? We want him to come and find us, which sometimes he does. He came and found me. I wasn't looking for him. We don't go on a journey. You know, we don't, we don't want to be bothered with a journey. These guys went a thousand miles on a camel. No showers. Ugh. Ugh. All those clothes on. I, can, I can't even stand it. I hope it was December 25th because at least it was cooler. <laughs> so, and they ask where he is. So they have no doubt that he's been born. They say, where is he? They don't say, is he born yet? Is he born yet? Where is he? They have no doubt that he's been born. So Herod, of course, doesn't know a thing. He's the king. He's, you know, king of the Jews, so to speak. He has political power there under the thumb of the Romans, but he's the puppet king. He doesn't have a clue what these guys are talking about. So he says to the religious leaders, oh, hey, you guys, experiment. Where's the Christ to be born? Where's the Messiah going to be born? And they don't say, you know what? I don't know. We're going to run up to the temple. We'll look it up. We got a guy Googling it. We got to go get a scroll. They immediately say, when you read the passage, in Bethlehem of Judea. Why? Why did they know that? Micah chapter 5, verse 2 tells you that Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. It's really the only thing Micah is known for. Sorry, Micah, but it's really it's kind of the only thing he's known for. He tells you exactly where Messiah is going to be born. And the religious leaders know this. Now, when this conversation goes on, they are standing about 8 to 10 miles from where little baby Jesus is. From the bed and breakfast place we stay at in Jerusalem, by car, on a city street, it takes probably 10 minutes to get to Bethlehem. That's how close it is. It's probably 8 or 10 miles tops. Probably even less. And you know what's funny? Not a single one of the Jewish leaders go. Not a one. Nobody says, hey, maybe we should go check this out. After all, you know, Micah said, Messiah's going to be born in Bethlehem. And these, these guys have shown up. I mean, these smelly guys and their smelly camels just came a thousand miles. Maybe we should go over there. No, not a one of them went. Isn't that amazing? You know, we know people that are looking for Jesus. These guys are the religious leaders. You know, religious leaders are supposed to point you to Jesus. Right, So they're a good representation of the church of today. last thing the church of today does is point you to Jesus. It's everything but that. 
they don't know what the gospel is. They want to make it more fun. And everything's based on not hurting people's feelings. Well, if someone goes to hell because of something that a leader does, their feelings are going to be plenty hurt. You know, in the book of James, what does it say? If you're going to be a teacher, you better be careful. Because you're going to be judged at a higher standard because you influence people. So if you send 30,000 people off in a wrong direction, you answer for that. If you send 10 million people who are all sending you money so that you can have a private jet, you send them off in the wrong direction, you have to answer for that. And your jet's not going with you. <clears throat> you can figure that when I'm talking about. So Bethlehem's the city of David. Messiah is the son of David. So sometimes people who should lead us to Christ don't. We have to lead people to him. You know, if you're sitting at Panera's and you got your Bible open and you're talking to somebody and, you know, both got a Bible open and somebody comes over and says, what are you doing? You say, oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. No, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I won't bother you. You want to know what we're doing? The office and say you want a Christmas stamp, and the guy behind you, the counter goes, "You want the elves or you want the the that woman and the baby?" So I went nuts on him, in a good way. I did. I, I couldn't believe it. I said, "This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is not about elves. It's not about your silly tree over here and your candy cane. It's about this woman who had the ultimate baby, who's the son of God." What? What? He didn't give me the thing where they circle it and say, take the survey. <laughs> but anyway, so we have to lead people. So they went to Bethlehem. Nobody went with them. They came from all that way. The chosen people wouldn't go to the next town. Eight miles away. And even if nobody else goes, we have to go. The Magi could have said, gee, if none of these Jewish leaders, these guys are the religious leaders. If they're not going, maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we'll just find a Hampton Inn and we'll get a room and we'll just stay here for a few days. We really need a shower. And then, you know, we'll go back home. No, they went, they said, see y'all. And they went to Bethlehem. So even if nobody else goes, you know, don't people say to you, boy, you were a lot more fun before you started all this stuff. And I would say, yeah, I know. I don't know. Well, no, I'm having a lot more fun now. Or people that say to me, you didn't used to talk like this. I say, I know, because I didn't know what I was talking about. Now you're going to listen to what I'm telling you. I don't care if you're a drug rep. I don't care if you're a patient. I don't care who. You're going to listen to this. I didn't have to do it with Ron. But <laughs> So the Magi don't, oops, so the Magi don't care about this messy place. They discern the king even in the middle of this poverty. They know this is what's important. He's not in a palace. He's not in a mansion. There's not soldiers there. There's not people, those guys blowing those big trumpets with the cool things on. Here's this one or two or three week old baby living in some poor mess animals around, young mother, the guy who appears to be his father saying, 
what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to, you know, I got to get back to work. You know, I got people waiting for tables and chairs and stuff. I got orders coming in. <laughs> but they give their gifts and they worship him. <clears throat> Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We already talked about that. Psalm 72, I love King David. Love King David. Mostly because David and Peter are great examples for us. You know, they're a total disaster. But David's a man after God's own heart. And the spirit never leaves him. Peter, the rock, you know, denies the Lord three times. Scared of the servant girl. Doesn't want the Jews getting mad at him because he's eating with Gentiles. Doesn't want to tell anybody in Jerusalem he went to a Gentile house. I mean, he got it straightened out eventually. You know, David said, I meditate on the law day and night. And like I always say, great that you meditate on it, but you don't keep it. You can meditate on it night and day. That's great. But you don't keep it. The kings of Tarshish and the Isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Messianic prophecy in Psalm 72, kings are going to fall down and all nations are going to serve him. Is it just Israel? All nations. What do you mean all nations? I mean all nations. Whenever the Bible says nations, it's goyim, Gentiles. All the goyim will serve him. So we as Gentiles are, going to, are serving the Jewish Messiah. Who would have believed such a thing? Isaiah did. David did. He wrote it. So it's epiphany. It's manifestation to the Gentiles. It was a preview of what was coming. And the fact that none of the leaders in Jerusalem went to Bethlehem to see what was going on prefigures the fact that they're not going to accept him and they're going to tell their people, no, you can't. If you, if you follow Jesus, you're out of the synagogue. If you follow him, you're excommunicated. If you follow him, you're going to be condemned. He's not the Messiah. We're the guys who know he's not the Messiah. I'm going to close with Matthew 23. He says to the Pharisees, not only do you not get into the kingdom, you prevent others from coming in. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? You're not getting in and you've prevented others from getting in. Because you taught them nonsense. Because you told them to worry about their gym and their fitness and their cholesterol and all this nonsense. You taught him to give some money to the homeless guy. He said, get a nice band at your church. Let's not talk about anything, though, but we got some cool music. So now they're not getting in either. So this is a prefigurement of a lot of things. The epiphany. So if your churches, most of the churches will be celebrating it this weekend, and they'll have all these readings from Matthew about the wise men. So think about those three guys coming all that way. And the Jews in Jerusalem not going eight miles. Let's wrap it up.